We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Five sixty, the Joe Radio Rewind, running back some of the best you've heard here on Five Sixty over the past twenty-four hours. Where you at? It's Dan Day. I'm on social media at Dan Day Radio. I'm gonna have a fun Memorial Day weekend. I'm gonna try to keep you up to date on all of it on the social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Dan Day Radio. Gonna be fun. We're gonna have fun over the next hour because I got some good stuff in store for you. Gonna be checking in with the Joe Rose Show. They're talking to Cameron Wolf, basically about what Tua is actually doing. Greeny Show touches base with Tim Legler, giving you that leg up on the NBA. Then Hawk and Solana, they say Heat and seven. I can give you some clutch headlines right now. The Heat were blown out for the second playoff game in a row last night, losing 113-84 to the Bucks. Game four of the 0-3 series for the Heat is tomorrow at 1.30. In other playoff action, the Lakers took a 2-1 lead in their series against Phoenix, winning 109-95, while the Nuggets went up 2-1 by defeating Portland 121-15. Tonight, it's Knicks, Hawks at 7, Nets, Celtics 8-30, and then the Clippers play the Mavericks at 9-30. The Canes baseball team got walked off yesterday at the ACC tournament. By Duke losing 3-2, the loss sets up a meaningless game against Florida State today, but with a win, the U avoids a season sweep by the Seminoles. Lindy Sports has named seven Canes to their football preseason All-ACC teams. Making the first team are offensive lineman Zion Nelson, defensive back Bubba Bolden, and punter Lou Headley. Inter-Miami coach Phil Neville says despite Rudolfo Pizarro's slow start, he expects big things from the midfielder at the team's match Saturday at 8 against DC United in Dry Pink Stadium. UEFA Champions League final will be held Sunday at 3 p.m. when Chelsea faces Manchester City. And now, it's Friday. Let's take a step into the day spa. Need to step into the day spot, not just because it's Friday, but that UEFA Champions League final. Come on, Chelsea. Going to have me nervous on Sunday. Nonetheless, an alligator recently swam from Louisiana to Texas so it could sun itself better. I was born in Louisiana, so I can say this. Man, that is going from bad to worse. A Washington man found a 2.2 carat diamond in Arkansas's Crater of Diamond State Park. I'm guessing although happy, he ain't staying in Arkansas. Bartenders have gone online to reveal they use Numbers system to communicate without customers knowing what they're talking about. Yeah, numbers and drinking don't go together, so no one knows what they're talking about. A delivery driver paid for his customer's meal after she told him of the bad day that she was having. Is this a case of him being a player or being played? I think you know. A video of two elderly people playing beer pong has gone viral. Hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. 
Oh, yeah. Joe Rose, he didn't take an early weekend. No, he worked his you-know-what off today. He got Cameron Wolf on the line, and they got some good stuff from the Wolf. Talking about what was Tua saying the other day. Not to mention, what advice would you give Tua? And there's a bold prediction. I want you to help me out through uh, what what Tua Tungavailoa was trying to say, or did he say it, or was he trying to be brutally honest it was a simple game plan it was different than Fitzpatrick and honestly I didn't know my playbook how'd you read into that and the follow-up question yeah yeah no I I think that I saw two things I saw one level of transparency of Tua trying to take responsibility for maybe not knowing um, the offense as well as Fitz a guy who's known the offense for five or six years and two I heard the same thing I've probably done back in the day uh, covering for a buddy whenever he wasn't supposed to be out with, with, with the town. I'm covering with him and saying, hey, it was my fault when it really was the other guy's fault. So I, I think that, you know, it was probably a little bit of covering for Chan and a little bit of, of, of him taking some uh, responsibility for not knowing it as well as fit. So I don't think that it was this huge charade that he wasn't studying or he didn't know anything going on with the offense. I, I think that there was a comfort level with the Dolphins uh, play caller, Chan Gailey, and what Fitz knew compared to what Tua knew. And that's why we saw those two different offenses that we saw last year. Cam, can I just say this, though? Yeah. A guy that spent half my life with playbooks. Yeah. Never tell anybody if you don't. Wouldn't you just stay away from that? (laughs) Isn't it a better idea just to stay away from that? Would you recommend that if Tua said, hey, Cam, what what should I do differently? What would make me better at these interviews? Would that be the first thing you'd say to him? Well, Joe, I'm not of the practice of telling players to be less honest with me and less open. That's not that's not how I really want to do my job. I mean, that's probably something the PR staff and the coaching staff are probably going to tell too. But but I love the fact that he's going to be be open and, and you know, kind of admit his flaws and what he feels like he did wrong. Yeah, it's not a great visual look, especially as you're starting quarterback, but he's a rookie. And, and and I remember hearing a few months ago that, you know, Tom Brady, 43-year-old quarterback, had trouble learning the Bucks offense. So I don't think it's something that's out of the norm to have struggles like fully grasping an offense. Um, you just don't hear about it much because everybody thinks the quarterback knows everything and should know everything. Um, and, you know, I, I think I don't think it's a huge deal. I think it's eye-opening, but I don't think it's a huge deal in how we look at Tua going into year two because from what I understand, he has, he already has a better grasp of this offense, and, you know, ideally this offense is better suited for his skill set. I think he's going to make a jump. The question is, I, I think the weapons around him, the offensive line, the, the amount of picks, good quality picks, the veterans we have either starting or backing up, I just look at this with the speed, the big body guys at receiver, the tight end position. I, I think I think he's going to be better, Cam. The question is, how much better do you believe he'll be in year two? Yeah, no, I, I'm optimistic, man. I, I mean, I don't like to sell hope, but I think there's plenty of reason of optimism. He's got a full off season. He's healthy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm one of the guys that I don't think that last year was terrible. I think that it was, you know, up and down. When you look at it in comparison to Justin Herbert, it wasn't great. But I don't think any time I looked at him on the field and said, hey, he doesn't belong out here. So if that's his baseline, if that's the worst we're going to see from Tua, and it's only going to go up from there, then I think there's plenty of reason to be to, to be optimistic. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that makes me uh, sort of hopeful is that the Dolphins are doing things to build around him. They got him Jalen Waddle. They got him Will Fuller. 
speed guys that really helped him use his skill set better. And now we get to see him hopefully let it rip a little bit. Throw the deep ball they threw at Alabama. You know, throw the guys and watch them make plays after the catch. Things that we didn't see last year. So I think we're going to see a more confident Tua, a comfortable Tua. And uh, the Dolphins are, are ready to win. So, you know, it's, the pressure is on him. Um, and I think he'll live up to it. The Dolphins think he'll live up to it. Um, but if he doesn't, we'll be having a conversation next offseason about should the Dolphins replace him at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we did talk about that this morning. Hey, just uh, off uh, a little bit sidetrack of, uh, but with the quarterback position, do you still believe like a lot of uh, national guys that Deshaun Watson hasn't exactly been taken off the Dolphins' board for potential trade? Do you agree with that? Yeah. So that situation is really sticky because I think until his legal situations are resolved, no team in their reasonable mind can trade for him. So I mean, we can all say, hey, if this if this, if this is done tomorrow. Would the Dolphins make a call? Would they, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they made a call if the legal issues were done tomorrow, but we don't know that. So I think that the, the thing that I've always said throughout this process is that, you know, making a call or inquiring about the price of Deshaun isn't an indictment on Tua and their belief in him. It's the fact that Deshaun Watson is a top-five quarterback and in the middle of his prime. So I, I don't know if they would be all in as another team would be, but I, I, I certainly – wouldn't be surprised for them to make a call, you know, see what the price would be and see if they can make it work. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. I, you'd be crazy not to, no matter what. I, I totally agree. Yeah. So um, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you, because we were talking about this Aaron Rodgers thing out there. If we found out that Aaron Rodgers, what were your thoughts be on Aaron Rodgers? Uh, do the Dolphins make a call on that one? Or have they made a call on that one to see? 37-year-old quarterback, as good as he is, because you bring him in right away. Obviously, that's a game-changer for right now. Uh, what would be your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers? See, I, I see Aaron Rodgers as less likely than Deshaun Watson because the thing you just mentioned, the timeline um, of, of where he is. You know, this is a team that we've heard, you know, Steve Ross and Brian Flores and Chris Greer talk about establishing a long-term winner. And with Aaron Rodgers, you got to be real. You're probably going to have a three- to five- year now window and you've got to be in a situation now where is your roster ready is everything ready to win and you know Aaron Rodgers definitely makes you a contender but your window is probably very slim so I see the Dolphins going with Tua or making a move for a star quarterback who is in his prime like a Deshaun Watson so I, I don't see Aaron Rodgers as a as a guy the Dolphins would go after. Can I? Uh, you want to? Can you do the prediction business right now, or is it too early? If I ask you who the starting right tackle is going to be for the Dolphins, you would say I can make a game. prediction. Okay, I would. I would say I would say Liam Eichenberg is probably going to be your starting right tackle, the rookie out of Notre Dame. Then two veterans. We would have uh, Fluker and Jesse Davis as two backup veterans for six and seven yeah, spots yeah, on the O line. Yeah, I think you're probably going to see Jesse Davis maybe compete with Solomon Kinley, and I think they ideally want Solomon Kinley to win that job, but they're going to make him win it um, at, at left guard. Um, but it, assuming the young guys win it, then, then yeah, I think my vision of the offensive line would probably be Austin Jackson, uh, Solomon Kinley, Matt Skira, Robert Hunt, and then Liam Eichenberg from, from left to right with, with Jesse Davis and, and DJ Fluker, DK Fluker as your, uh, your, your two, you know, reserve sixth and seventh offensive linemen. Cam, uh, Igben Ogany, 
another one of the first-round picks we haven't talked about. I call him the quiet number one. Where uh, where does he fit in going to year two? Yeah, I think the big thing, and I've been kind of harping on this, and Dolph has talked about it a little bit this you know this past week, but for him to get on the field, he's got to learn how to play slot corner. And you've got a first-round pick. Um, I looked at him uh, – yesterday or the other day at OTAs, and he looked like he was in great shape. He's rocking a new number, the number nine. It looks sleek on him. But you've got Xavier Howard and Byron Jones in front of him. You can't just have a guy just waiting on one of your, your star corners to get hurt. You need him to be able to be on the field when they're on the field, and that means playing some slot corner. So I know they still have been training him as outside corner. You know, they talked about him getting a little bit of reps and inside um, and playing that slot. But uh, I, I think, you know, ultimately the best-case scenario for Noah is if he continues to prove himself as a top backup outside but ends up earning that top slot cornerback role over, you know, Nick Needham over Justin Coleman and kind of bouncing back. Because I, I think he's a guy they drafted. They knew he was a little raw and he needed some development. And I'm, I'm guessing he's going to make a jump. But the question is, can we see it? You know, we, yeah. we're only going to be able to see it if he's on the field. So I think the time of, of kind of putting, you know, training wheels on him and saying he only can play outside corner should be over. And it's time to see him on the field in the slot. Hey, Cam, one last question. I'll let you go. We're, we're the only team, I believe, in the league. I, I looked it up. I might be wrong, but co-offensive coordinators. Uh, how's this going to play yeah. out? How, how do you see it playing out? Can you give me what the roles will be and, and how does it work together? Yeah, there'll definitely be one guy playing, uh, calling the plays. You know, I, I think I have an early idea of it, but it hasn't been fully confirmed, so I'll kind of leave it at that. But uh, I, I think that there'll be one guy calling the plays, and, and, and ultimately there'll be a mix between both minds of, of how the scheme's going to be called. You know, obviously George Goss, he's a guy who's been tight end coach and quarterback coach. Eric Studentsville's coached running backs for 20-plus years. So the immediate – thought is that, hey, you know, George Gossie's going to have a little bit more of a mindset in the pass game, and Eric Studentsville is going to have a little bit of mindset in the run game. Um, but both guys have knowledge of both of the offenses, both elements of the offense. So I think you're going to see an offense that, that, that's a lot more flexible than it was last year um, as far as their ability to change and do things in-game. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the game plan shift from week to week. You know, yeah. you're playing a team that's a little soft in the inside. Maybe Eric Studisville takes a, a heavier hand in the in the control, and you do a lot more run run heavy scheme. If you're playing a team that's weak in the defensive backfield, then, then maybe that's George Gossie headed game plan. And I think that helps you make a little bit more uh, unpredictable. The, pro the the key is just making sure everybody knows their roles and that everybody is, is, is comfortable with what they're doing and nobody's really fighting for, for respect or attention or, or, or more um, you know, input. And the early gr glimpses that I've got so far is that they both work really well together. So we'll see when game time happens, but so far it looks like everybody's on the same page of what they want the Miami Dolphins offense to look like. Cam, before I let you go, uh, we, we've been talking about this. We should know by the end of this year if Tua can play or not. I, I've been saying that. Hollywood disagrees, thinks he, he may get another year. I, I think we'll have a pretty good idea if he's the future or not after this season. Do you agree? Yeah, I think you have a pretty good idea. You know, I, that's the hope. I mean, you, you don't want a situation like Ryan Tannehill where, you know, six, seven years down the line you're still split. <laughs> oh, I think that's the worst-case scenario. You want him to be either bad horrendously bad or you want him to be good and really good and improved and you're like hey this is our guy so I'd like to think that you're going to see some sort of jump that you know maybe he's not a top five quarterback by the end of the year but you see enough growth 
that you're like, okay, That's we see it. why we drafted this guy. This guy's our future. So, um, you know, I, I think you'll see that. And if you don't, if you see something like last year, then I think that's a clear sign that, that it's time to, to, to throw the cards away and start over again. Cam, we have learned something together, though. Over the last couple of days, I was just reminded of who the biggest name athlete is in this town, and it's not even close. Tua Tungavailoa owns <laughs> that one, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He's still a star. Uh, start waiting to, to, to get the crown of, of on the field. But he's when, we, when they drafted him, I think I talked to you about this. He's got the star power to be, you know, the next figure. You know, the Dan Marino, the Ricky Williams, those names that you think of when you think of Dolphins, Jason Taylor. He's got the, the, the following, the national following to be that. And now it's just up to him to put it together on the field to prove worthy of all the uh, the, the hype and the yeah. praise. Boy, I hope he's the guy. I'm with everybody else, man, whether you're on the left side or the right side of, uh, of the fence on this guy. I hope so. Cam, thank you. Very much for coming on this morning, buddy. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. What is going to happen with Tua Tungabaloa? I don't think anybody really knows. There's some people who think he is going to be the next great Dolphin. There's some people who think he's going to be the next great backup. So time will tell. It's going to be exciting. You can hear all the Dolphins action and all the takes right here on the home for the Dolphins flagship station, to be exact, 560 The Joe. You can also hear some greeny. Ultimately, for me, it's going to be the the offensive performance of Julius Randle. I, I think that's what this series is going to come down to. Tim Legler, a.k.a. Legs, giving us some NBA playoff breakdown. Can't get enough NBA playoffs this time of the year. That is on the way. Plus, got some reggae for you because it is a feel-good Friday here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. The Joe Radio Rewind. Running back some of the best you've heard here on 560 over the past 24 hours. It's a feel-good Friday, so I got my guys from Soja, especially Trevor Young, doing some singing right here. Don't worry about the things you can't control. Heck, it's Memorial Day weekend. Worry about having a good time and living your life to the fullest. How do you do? I am Dan Day, and we got Greeny. Oh, yeah. Greeny weekdays from 10 to noon right here on 560 The Joe. He's talking to Legs. Yeah, Tim Legler about the Knicks' needs. Trey Young, he's a true pro. And will the Mavs bury the Clips? Open the show by saying I can't recall a time that I looked forward to a night of NBA action more than I'm looking forward to this one. And let's look at the games and in the order in which they'll be played, starting with Knicks-Hawks, which is a I think is an absolutely fascinating series between two teams that could not be more evenly matched. So I will ask you for sort of a bigger picture what is going to decide it? What will be the difference in this series between these two teams that are so even? Ultimately, for me, it's going to be the, the offensive performance of Julius Randle. I, I think that's what this series is going to come down to. Look, they gutted it out in game two. They dug deep, and it showed me a lot how badly they want to win, how badly they want to be in this series because they did not play well offensively and still found a way to rally late and get that win and at least get a split at home. Uh, but they're not going to survive this series if Julius Randle doesn't start to have some games like he had most of the regular season. He turned into a legitimate star 
this year, a guy that can carry you because he's so versatile uh, in the ways he can beat you offensively. And he just obviously hasn't been there the first two games. So for me, that's what you have to look at. I think if Julius Randle, and he doesn't necessarily have to be exactly as good as he was in regular season, but he's got to be close to that. And if he is, I really like the Knicks to win this series. But it seemed like from the get-go, this had seven games written all over it because of how evenly matched they are, as you just mentioned. Ultimately, I think his talent can put the Knicks over the top if he can find that rhythm. I want to ask you about Derrick Rose because Rose has been the Knicks' best player in this series. But I wonder at his age, you know, they go from Sunday to Wednesday. Nuno made this point yesterday, and it's a good one. They played Sunday, then they play Wednesday. So he's got fresh legs and all of that. Now the turnaround is Wednesday to Friday night, Friday night to the earliest game on Sunday. Do you think that is a factor in how much and how effectively Derrick Rose can play for this team with these tight turnarounds over the course of games three and four? Yeah, I don't think it'll be any issue tonight. I do think when you start talking about you know finishing up you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock on Friday night and playing early Sunday, yeah, that's tough for a guy that age. There's no question a guy that's been through what he has physically. So that's a legitimate concern for Sunday. The one thing I will say is Derrick Rose has seemed to have found this incredibly comfortable place now uh, in terms of his pace of play, it, you know, his ability to get to mid-range area of the floors and make jump shots. And he's added things to his game he did not have when he was at his best as an MVP, when he was just, you know, at that time, the most explosive point guard we had ever seen play the position. And I think he and Westbrook – will go down as the two most explosive athletes we've ever seen play the position. That's what he relied on at that time. The other stuff was, was you know, he, it would come, the jumpers and things, because he set you up because you were constantly afraid of him being at the rim. Now it's different. Now he, you know, he plays with a certain pace where he knows where he wants to go on the floor and he knows where his spots are going to be. Um, it, it was an incredible pickup when they got him because he's been so good over these last few years in, in changing his, his play and adapting to extend his career. So I think because he's changed his game so much, I, I do think he's more apt to be able to get through that tight turnaround. But there's no doubt that's a tough turnaround for any player, much less a guy that's you know that deep into his career to have to – I remember playing games in the NBA when you'd have to do that, playing a Friday night, play a Sunday noon game. Th- those are hard. Your body and your biorhythms – are just not built to be playing that early in the day, particularly when you just played on a Friday night. So let's see what happens on Sunday, but I think he's certainly going to be fine tonight. Yeah, for those who like the analytics, the Knicks offense has been 25% more efficient in this series with Rose on the floor than when he's off, and he's a plus 15 through the two games. So we'll see how that goes. Greeny and Tim Legler. On the other side, I don't want to say that the series has been a coming-out party for Trey Young because he was a superstar the one year he was in college, and everyone knows he's good. But I, I was really impressed with the way he rose to the occasion in a tough spot in the garden. I mean, to have in that building with those fans the way they were and 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 for him to rise up and play as well as he did in both games, the game-winning shot in game one and played, I thought, still played great in game two. What, what do you think this these two games to this point, what have you seen in him and, and what do you think it means? Yeah, look, I, I think, first of all, let me just say, Trey Young's been a better pro than I thought he was going to be. I, I didn't think he'd be a bust by any means. I just, after seeing him in college, when he became a, a sensation, got 10 games into his, his one year he played in college and took over the country, really, you know, led, a, led the country in scoring and assists, and they, you know, had these huge games to start the year. When he got into the Big 12 school, 
I, mean, I saw some teams really get into him and force a lot of turnovers. He went a long stretch without making a three-point shot during that season. And I said, you know, he's going to have a hard time at the next level being a star because of just how slightly built he is. He didn't seem like super explosive quick to be able to overcome that. And I didn't know, you know, how it was going to translate. Well, he's clearly you know, proved me wrong in terms of his ability to become a star because he is one. And it's really because of skill. He's so elusive with his handle, and he's got such great range, and then he's got these footers and these feathery touch shots that he can shoot on his way to the rim from any distance. And that's how he won game one, really, with a very difficult running shot in the middle of the lane when he eluded at half court uh, and got into that spot. So I think what he's doing now in this stage is he's proving, okay, this isn't just a situation where over the course of 82 games or 72 games this year, you know, regular season, Teams aren't really digging in defensively like that. I have freedom of play. I could go do what I want to do, but the playoffs are going to be different, and now I'm going to struggle. He's proving that that's not the case, even against a very physical Knicks team. He has been able to get to his spots, and because of his immense skill and shot-making, and he's got a variety of things he can go to, he shows you he is still able to get it done, even under pressure, even under a physical defense, and even with a team that is clearly targeting him and trying to make him less efficient because that is the key to stopping that team. And he still has answers for all of that. So I think it's been a treat for everybody that doesn't watch a ton of Atlanta Hawks basketball or seen Trey Young very much as a pro. You're really finding out how special this guy is because at his size and weight, to be able to do the things that he does when you've got an entire defense is with his name written at the top of the whiteboard and you go out there and he still does what he wants to do, it's pretty impressive, Green. He has shown me he's, a, he's going to be a much better pro and have a much better career than I thought when he came out. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'm 100% with you. I'm glad you see it the same way I do. He's got onions, too, to use the expression that people will sometimes use <laughs> going into that building. Legs with me on the Goodyear hotline, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. The player that, that Trey Young will always be sort of compared with is Luka Doncic because of the trade on draft day and all the rest of that. And I was just looking. There's a note that just went out through ESPN's analytics people, and I haven't had a chance to really dive into it. But that there, there I guess there are advanced analytics that suggest that Luka has taken his game even another step further in in you know in the this season and into this early part of the postseason legs are they just going to bury the Clippers here are they just going to put this thing away and if so what does that mean for the Clippers yeah so look any team that digs a hole you have you ask yourself a question when you're trying to see can they get back in it and the question is do they have enough talent relative to the team they're playing to get back in the series. Obviously, the Clippers do. So this is the one situation where you go, you know what, it's not quite over yet. If they win game three, you now put an incredible amount of pressure on the Mavericks in that fourth game. But here's the thing. What I've seen out of Luka Doncic and the Mavericks is this. They are looking at a team that they don't fear in any way in terms of physically stopping us from running what we want to run from having our best player control all of the action, which Luka Doncic is. This was a team that they played a year ago in the playoffs, and if you recall, I mean, they were trying to take him out every time he went to the basket. It seemed like Luka Doncic was in an altercation with somebody every trip up the floor, and they felt like this is the way to get into his head. He was a little bit more immature at the time. He would overreact to that stuff. He was more prone to then turn the ball over or take a bad shot because he didn't really know how to handle his emotions. Well, he's reined that in to a large extent this year. 
his frustration is not palpable anymore. It doesn't wear that on his sleeve to such an extent that you feel like if I just get up in him at half court, bump him a few times, or hit him on his way to the rim, we might throw him off his game for the next four or five minutes. That's behind him. He's now looking at a team. He expect what they can do to him defensively. It's really fascinating to watch. So for the Mavericks, they're looking at the Clippers, and, and to, to use an analogy, they see chum in the water. I mean, they're sharks, and they see chum in the water because that's what it looks like to Clippers. They look like a team that is not tough enough. They don't have enough emotion. I think their, lead, their leadership is too calm, cool, and collected. And I'm talking about all of them, from Kawhi Leonard to Paul George to Teron Liu. When your best players only lead by example, sometimes it's not enough. You need somebody to show some emotion, and, and it's their best two players. But they don't really do that, and I think it, it trickles down to their entire team to where now the Dallas Mavericks, they sense this opportunity is there now. Obviously, you go up 2-0, you think you're going to win the series. Clippers can get back in it because of the talent they have, but I just don't know that they've got the persona to get back in this series. And that's why I think Dallas, look, I, Dallas, if the Clippers win, and Dallas winning one of these two, and they're going to go back to L.A. up 3-1. That, that's, that's my impression of how this series is going to go. And at that point, I don't think a team with Luka Doncic on it is going to lose three straight games. Fascinating. And that is such great insight into what we're seeing from Kawhi and Paul George. And we'll see. There will be a price to be paid reputationally if they go down quietly in this thing after the way they sort of jerry-rigged themselves into getting into the spot that they are. Legs, enjoy the game this weekend. Thank you, my friend. I'll see you next week. You got it, Greeny. Thanks. I don't know about you, but when I get out of here in a little while, I'm heading straight home going to hang with my dude dudes downstairs, Giuseppe and Nathan. We are going to watch the Knicks because Giuseppe used to live in New York and if you're from New York, you love the Knicks and maybe watch the Boston game because for some reason Giuseppe loves Boston. I like basketball, so I'm going to be checking that out. I also like beer, so I'm going to be sipping on that. You know who else I like? Hawk and Crowder a whole lot, along with Solana. The Heat are in this 3 nothing hole in the first round against Milwaukee. Heat and 7. Strong take right there. We'll hear more about it, plus some reggae because it's a feel-good Friday here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Five sixty, the Joe Radio Rewind. Running back some of the best you've heard here on Five Sixty over the past twenty four hours. I am Dan Dan. A feel good Friday, and hopefully that reggae is making you feel extra irie. Ah, almost like we're in Jamaica. Seriously, we're really not that far from Jamaica. Miami, not a bad place to be, and not a bad place to listen to. Right here, weekdays from two to six. Hawk Crowder, Solana. Hawk, he's working. Solana, he's injured, but he's still working. Crowder taking some vacation time. He'll come back regaling us with stories on Tuesday because they will be back in the studio. But right now, let's hear from Hawk and Solano. What are they talking about? Heat and seven, National Burger Day, and Giannis's free throws. I did not think that we would be talking about another Heat game similar to game two. And that's what we got. I, uh... I don't even know where to begin. Solana, how do you, uh, where do you start, Solana? I mean, it was the same as game two. They just were never in it. They, I, it, I watched the entire game, and Eric Reed at the end on Bally Sports, he goes, the Heat have not had the lead since 2 nothing." I mean, they're, they're only, that so rarely happens in an NBA game. You don't lead where there's not some lead changes. The, the Heat led 2 nothing. That was it. Milwaukee never looked back, and now 
the Heat are in this 3 nothing hole in the first round against Milwaukee. Heat and seven. <laughs> I knew I could count on you. What happened? The ACL, the torn ACL has caused blood flow to slow to your brain? Yeah. Are um, you saying here that you are predicting Heat and seven? Heat and seven, and I will never give up. Uh, I Hawk, I... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I think what happened yesterday was the Heat brought energy, right? Like they they truly did. They came out yesterday energized. It looked like they wanted it. They just couldn't make a shot. That that's what happened. They could yesterday. not make a shot. I mean, they they really could not make a shot. They 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 could not make a shot. I I mean, at at one point, I know Mike Cunio had tweeted out. I gotta see if I can even find it. Mike Cunio had tweeted something like, you know, they're. Four of twenty nine from three or nine of twenty. I don't know what it was, and I, I tweeted back and I don't know analytics. Is that good? Um, it was it was laughable. I mean, they, they just couldn't hit a shot. They they were missing layups. They were missing threes. And uh, I I the thing that I was nervous about at the beginning of this series about Milwaukee being on a mission, Giannis being on a mission. I was watching first take this morning. Stephen A. Smith was saying, look out, Brooklyn. If Chris Middleton keeps hitting shots the way that he's hitting shots, I mean, Stephen A. Smith was saying, look out, Brooklyn, that Milwaukee might have a big three of their own. We may be up against a but. I mean, maybe. We're down 3 nothing, and I think we've lost the last two games by 80 points. We may be up against a buzzsaw was going to be my hot take. Yeah, we're up against a buzzsaw here. Solana, and I don't know what to do with it. I know it's disappointing, but... Do you remember in 2007, I saw somebody tweet, I don't remember who it was, I wish I could give them proper credit, but in 07, Hawk, the Heat, fresh off of a championship victory, they beat the Bulls in six games in the first round um, on their way to winning an NBA title. The following year, the Miami Heat play the Chicago Bulls again in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I remember Shaq maybe having some choice words for the Bulls, and mm-hmm. they swept Miami. Luol Deng goes off. It was the best series of his life. Like, they they were ready. They rebuilt their roster, and they wanted Miami in the first round. And I, I'm getting that same vibe from Milwaukee this year. Milwaukee got well, better. I, I think they, they truly went out. They got better, and we've talked about it, how they – they added pieces specifically because of what happened to them versus Miami last year in five. And I think they wanted Miami again. They wanted to prove that this year they're the better team. No, I, I think that all plays into what we had talked about leading into this series. They did. They had to recalibrate after the loss to the Heat. They had to recalibrate. Giannis signs the extension. It has to work. Didn't they also have Bogdanovich coming there and then he backed out at the last second because uh something like some snafu? Right. So he yeah. <laughs> it was reported and then I, I guess he didn't want it to be reported and he backed out of the deal. Right. Well, I think what happened was they didn't have like yeah, I don't know exactly what happened, but I mean but now okay, so they're left left, I say jokingly, with Giannis, Middleton, Drew Holiday. Do they have a big three? I mean, they look unstoppable against the Heat, but I don't know if it's because the Heat just can't hit a shot, or I don't know if it's like what Stephen A. Smith is saying, where, hey, you're going to face Brooklyn, and look how Brooklyn. Yeah, what's frustrating, too, is Game 1, you had it there. You didn't play well. Jimmy and Bam didn't play well in Game 1, Hawk. Had they won that game, had they been able to pull that one out, you wouldn't feel like this series was over. Right? Because you'd be down one to two. Certainly you wouldn't feel good about that, but you'd have another home game 
and you're still within striking distance of making this a series, but instead you lose game one. That's what's so frustrating. And they get blown out in games two and three, and now it's over. There's no other way to look at it. It is over. Well, theoretically, tomorrow is <laughs> oh a must-win. <laughs> theoretically. You know, I called for it yesterday, too. Rest your starters in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I, I called the, for the it. Heat, so. The Heat are 0-19 when you you <laughs> proclaim it is a rest your starters in the fourth also, quarter game. Also, all Miami teams are 0-800 when we have John Michaels on from 680 The Fan in Atlanta. The, the guy's a jinx. He's a menace. And today happens to be National Burger Day. And tr- and I ain't talking Daniel Burger. But trust me, <laughs> on National Burger Day, we will keep you entertained. So we'll keep you entertained today, even though the Heat are coming off a uh, disastrous Game 3 against the Bucs. Let's, uh, let's do headlines here with Alejandro Solana. So the final score yesterday, Hawk, 113-84. to Milwaukee takes a three games Oof. to nothing lead. It truly is remarkable. 84 points, playoff game, must win, a, a theoretical, I should say, must win. And you only <laughs> no, score... This is, actu- this is an actual <laughs> must win. This is no longer theoretical. This is now an actual must win. You only score 84 points at home. You're the defending Eastern Conference champions. It's crazy. It really is crazy. And we had bet the heat last night. I told you on the air that uh, my gambling consortium. So we, uh, the, it started, it was heat plus two on Wednesday. Wednesday? Yeah. It was heat plus two. Then during our show yesterday, it was heat plus one and a half. So I was going to buy it up to two. This is, this is how certain I was. And then when we got off the air and I went to put in the bet, it was down to heat plus one. And so I wasn't going to buy it all the way up to two because this is just too much money to, you know, it's like an extra. So it becomes minus 130 instead of minus 110. So I had heat plus one last night. What was the final score? 113 to 84. Yeah. So all you suckers out there, for me, it was 113.85. Not as bad a loss, huh? <laughs> 113 to 85. Hey, you got 85 points. You got 85 points, yeah. Hawk. That's better than 84. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, and then I also have the bet for the Heat to win the series. The Heat to win the series, you see. <laughs> and so, yeah, the win the series, you see. Hmm. All right. So uh, what else do you have in the headlines? It's just one of those nights. So if we're keeping I mean, tally. we said it all day yesterday. Milwaukee's not going to sweep the Heat. They're not going to come in here and do to, do to them what they did. Like, you know what I mean? Like all the things that we said. And it was, all, I mean, it was a replay. It was a replay. Heat and seven. We charge on. The fans brought it last right, night, by the way, Hawk. The fans brought it, right? The, the fans wanted so desperately to have something to cheer for. You know, it was like uh, you want to have that moment where, you know, and the Panthers on that open, like, you know, where it's just, it, you're feeling it, and, and they never had it. They never got that moment yesterday. I mean, they went bananas when they cut it to 20. That place went bananas when they cut it to 20 and caused Milwaukee to take a timeout. Felt like it was 80. Some other NBA scores from last night. Counting, counting Giannis, uh, counting seconds while Giannis was shooting free throws. That was fun. <laughs> I have I have that sound here. Let me play really quickly. Do you? That was fun. The elites who go 6'10", 235 pounds. I, I would think it reaches a point where he blocks out the count. <laughs> 
I think you're right. I mean, they're counting fast, too. You know, it's one Mississippi. You got to go yeah, a little no. slower. <laughs> well, that's funny. I, I watched the local broadcast, so I didn't hear them talking about it. But that's funny. Yeah, the Heat fans were counting fast because you, you want it to be extra. Like, you want it to seem like he's taking 18 seconds. Because that's the, it's like one, two, three, four, five. It worked, it too. It worked though. because he's taking free throws quicker. It really did work. Heat in seven. If that happens, woohoo! I'm going to run up and down the street in front of the radio station butt naked. I don't care if I get arrested or not. We'll see. Hey, one game at a time. Win or go home. Whatever the other cliche you want to use, just win, baby. I'm winning with you all day. Now I'm getting out of here. Going to go home, hang out with my dude dudes, Giuseppe and Nathan. They live downstairs from me. We're going to be watching some basketball. We're going to be drinking some beer. We're going to be having some fun. Want to hang out with you again, though. Let's do it Monday around 6 o'clock. Remember, you can download the podcast for this show or any of the shows for absolutely free. WQAM.com, Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcast for absolutely free. Got any questions? Social media, at Dan Day Radio. I got you, and I got you. Labor Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend, any weekend. Because that's the type of guy I am. Every day is kind of the weekend. But let's get back together Monday for a special kind of holiday edition of 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Later, slug. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.